kind of a winnowing process early on. You're going to have maybe a senator or a congressman or a governor or a former governor uh, left out, or maybe de Blasio left out of the first debate. So I, I think there's going to have to be some sparring in these next couple of weeks. People are going to look for a breakout moment. So many campaigns talk about Mayor Pete and what he was able to do, and they want to replicate that magic. Uh, so I just I think it's going to be kind of an interesting pregame because uh, the stakes get really high really fast. I am uh, I am absolutely looking forward to it, and I will be uh, watching uh, for your analysis of it uh, as as well. So, uh, Rick Klein of ABC News, where can we find your work? Where can we follow you and uh, and get more of this uh, more of this analysis from you? Sure. Well, the, the note publishes every morning at abcnews.com. I also do a, a podcast with uh, Jonathan Carl called uh, Powerhouse Politics. You can download it anywhere you want and uh, watch your ABC stations, including uh, I'm on the, uh, the Sunday show right there on WABC with Bill Ritter most Sundays. So that's, uh, that's a, a good way to catch us as well. Okay, awesome. Rick Klein, political director of ABC News. Thanks so much for being here on WBAI today. Thanks a lot. So uh, if you are listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org, I'm Celeste Katz. This is a special episode of Waking Up. I'm sitting in for Juliana Forlano. She will be back with you on Tuesday. So uh, I I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I enjoyed it. I think that uh, uh, people like Rick Klein have a great view of the landscape. They can uh, give us some insight into uh, uh, sort of what's what's going on, uh, not only uh, all over the country, but right here in New York. As he said, he's uh, you know uh, appears on WABC. He's familiar with what's going on, uh, and we're really happy to bring you those kinds of guests. Uh, you know, people like that who can help us explain stuff and not just read the uh, the quick headlines. Just not do the tweets. Not do the uh, you know the sort of snapchat version or the uh, the instagram version of news but actually get into this stuff because it really is important uh and uh we'd like to keep doing that and the best way to help us do it uh do that and uh, keep doing it and doing it better uh give us a call help us out with a donation uh as much or as little as you can afford 516-620-3602 516 620 3602, or you can just go right to WBAI.org to donate. You can help us raise $1,000 this hour. That would be absolutely great. We are running, as I mentioned earlier, our More Than Mike's campaign. That is our big project to build out our uh, new studio and uh, to give you better sound, better equipment, uh, better phone lines, all the stuff that we need to bring you good independent radio uh, right here uh, in New York. And uh, we actually are going to, I want to mention this uh, before we go on to our uh, next guest, uh, a little bit more news in our next guest. Um, we do have something really special. Um, if you are able to, uh, to be generous and give us a contribution of $250, we have something really, really extraordinary. I, I was checking this out and Personally, I'd like to have it myself. It's uh, uh, the Pacifica Radio Archives Encyclopedia of Sound. And this is a three flash drive set of literally, literally 3,600 hours of astounding recordings where you get to hear the voices of pivotal figures uh, from our past, uh, everyone from Martin Luther King Jr. to Malcolm X to Lily Tomlin, Betty Davis, Lena Horne, people from the worlds of politics and public policy and entertainment and uh, 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 literary uh, figures and uh, 
the stage uh, just it's there's some really incredible stuff here. So again, if you want to give us a call, 516-620-3602. It sounds, maybe it sounds like a lot, $250, okay? But if you think about it, how much is that uh, in, a, in a year? How much is that uh, in, in a, a day, in a month, you know? It's, uh, if you think about what you spend on uh, snacks, you know, buying lunch out when you, uh, when you go to work, or uh, how much you spend on coffee every day, you know, at Starbucks or wherever, wherever you may be going. Nothing against you, Starbucks, but uh, uh, we, are, we are listener-supported uh, WBAI, uh, commercial-free, non-corporate radio here. And uh, so the Pacifica Radio Archives Encyclopedia of Sound uh, this is one of the premiums that are we uh, that we are offering during this particular fundraising season. It's got some incredible shows, and this is going back if you're a history buff, for example, uh, documentary material, extensive documentary material, uh, Watergate, Vietnam, the American Indian Movement, women's history, free speech, all this stuff that if you listen to WBAI, I think you probably care about. And this is uh, this is something that you can share with your family. This is something that you can enjoy over time you can uh you know peruse it you can you can pick and choose if you listen to uh radio regularly if you listen to podcasts if you listen to audiobooks this is something that should appeal to you i think but it's something really really special and it's something that you can get here just by helping us out 516-620-3602 make your pledge right now you don't have to wait uh, you can give us a call you can go online wbai.org or you can text WBAI to 41444. That's 41444. So uh, again, we are looking at our uh, uh, a good a good looking uh, weather report coming into Memorial Day weekend, and I am wishing you a good Memorial Day weekend and a meaningful Memorial Day uh, as well. I will be here with you on Monday from six to eight a.m. again, and we're going to have some some very interesting programming related to. Uh, Memorial Day, but uh, for the moment here, going into the uh, the long weekend, it's uh, it's going to be beautiful here in the city. Temperatures up around seventies, uh, uh, mid seventies, uh, going down into the fifties. So comfortable tonight. I uh, wish every aspect of the city was uh, that uh, pleasant. Unfortunately, not the case. Of course, uh, just looking at the uh, the New York Daily News, they're reporting that the Diocese of Brooklyn is warning parishioners to look out for a scam involving gift cards that are supposed to come from their local church or their local pastor, but are actually coming from grifters. A spokesman for the diocese said, according to the Daily News, that some of these victims have been ripped off for, quote, thousands of dollars in this phishing scheme. So uh, just a point of information there. If you uh, get an appeal for money uh, that seems kind of uh, sketchy, uh, don't, don't jump to act. Don't, uh, don't give your money to the bad guys. Uh, alternatively, again, 516-620-3602. Give your money to the good guys. That's us, WBAI New York. Um, uh, just separately also a different kind of, uh, different kind of, uh, vice issue here. Uh, I just wanted to note, uh, Newsday is reporting that uh, something new this week, uh, or something uh, old but new this week, uh, the Summer All Out Initiative that is putting 300 NYPD cops, usually work the desk jobs, they are being put out on patrol uh, as of this week into uh, parts of the Bronx, Brooklyn, and Queens. So if you see more uh, police activity in your neighborhood, it might be part of this program. Uh, the department says that these patrols should help keep these streets uh, somewhat safer uh, somewhat safer after a, a jump 
in murders early this year. And so this program will continue into September. So just uh, just letting you know that uh, if you do see more officers or different officers on your street, uh, this is part of what is called the uh, the Summer All Out Initiative, and they will probably be around until the fall. Uh, so not every injustice, of course, would fit a uh, classic kind of cops and robbers profile. And uh, we're glad to bring up a, a guest here who's going to talk to us about something very different. Uh, the New York Times has just run a series of stories uh, that really deals with a very dark side of the city's taxi medallion business. And uh, reading through it for me, it just struck me as a sort of a, a, a tale of greed and deception, financial ruin, and in the uh, most extreme cases, even death. So here with us now to talk about what happened here and why it happened, we're glad to welcome to the program Brian Rosenthal. He's an investigative reporter on the Times Metro Desk who worked on this project. Uh, before joining the Times, he covered government for the Houston Chronicle and the Seattle Times. His digging has earned him honors, including a Polk Award and the Selden Ring Award. Brian, thanks for uh, setting your alarm a little early here to uh, join us on Waking Up. We, uh, we appreciate you being with us. Thanks for having me. So just to start off, uh, for, for people who uh, uh, maybe haven't had a chance to go through the whole series, it is, it is pretty exhaustive and it's uh, still developing. Just maybe start us off with telling us a little bit about your investigation into uh, taxi drivers, uh, immigrant uh, driver owners, and, and debt. You know, what did you find and, and how did you find it? Yeah, so we found that there had been a financial bubble in the taxi medallion industry. Uh, and uh, during uh, the period of 2002 to 2014, the price of a medallion, which is the permit that allows you to operate a taxi in New York City, uh, the price of that permit had gone from $200,000 all the way up to over a million dollars. Um, and in that period, taxi industry leaders were artificially inflating the price, um, we're making hundreds of millions of dollars by um, uh, issuing loans to drivers who were buying the medallion and uh, looking for the opportunity to own their own cab. Um, and we're really sowing instability in the market uh, in the pursuit of profits. Um, and that, that all came to a head in late 2014, uh, and the bubble burst in late 2014. And really since then and continuing today, uh, the industry is dealing with the fallout and um, uh, seeing uh, bankruptcies in very large numbers. We found 950 bankruptcies of taxi medallion owner-drivers um, and, and financial devastation and, um, in some cases, some suicides. So... I remember when I first, in the first, the lead of the story, the very first line of the story, extremely striking, a reference to uh, the day someone's life was ruined. Um, and uh, talking about uh, taking us sort of through that process of, of how this happened. You know, maybe people are, are listening to this in their cars, surely. Uh, some of them may even be driving taxis, uh, may even have uh, be medallion owners or, or prospective medallion owners. I mean, Take us through a little bit. If say I'm a, I drive a taxi, and someday I'd like to own a medallion because I'd like to, you know, I see it as a, a lucrative uh, industry, something to uh, to bring in money for myself, and my family, uh, 
and somebody offers me a medallion, where does it go wrong? Well, the way the system used to work is there are 13,000 medallions in New York City. About half of them are owned by fleets, you know, big corporations that own hundreds of cabs. Um, And the other half are set aside for individuals, owner-drivers. And the way it used to work is you um, come to America, and because 91% of New York City taxi drivers were not born in the United States, you come to America, you're looking for the American dream, you get a job working for one of those fleets, um, and if you drive for a fleet for long enough, you can save up enough money to buy a medallion um, and, and become your own boss, and the way you do that is you put down a, a big down payment from your savings, and you uh, take out a, a modest loan with modest terms, and you repay it in a few years. Um, and that was a good uh, path for thousands of people to achieve the middle class in, in, uh, in New York City. Later, as the prices began to skyrocket, what you saw was um, a, a change in the lending practices where instead of a large down payment and a modest loan, there would be no down payment, and there would be a loan that was very unusual and reckless and one-sided and full of fees and full of terms that uh, looked good at first, uh, maybe no down payment, maybe uh, interest only, um, but was going to end up costing you essentially all of your savings and all of your much of your income for ever for, you know, potentially for the rest of your life. Um, And it was a situation where uh, people were really lured by this idea of the medallion and didn't realize what that was going to cause for them and their lives moving forward. Because, I I mean, certainly, uh, uh, you know, having having been familiar for a while myself with the uh, the medallion system. I even had an uncle, actually, who uh, uh, for a while drove a cab in the Bronx, and uh, a medallion was always a very coveted thing. It was there were only so many, and they were, you know, if you could possibly get one, it would it would cost you. But you were sitting on a gold mine. You were you were set for life. And uh, I, it sounds like, uh, you know, from what you described, some of the people who ended up engaging in these deals to get the medallions. Did not some of them did clearly did not understand the terms. Some of the people who were who were targeted did not even speak English. Did not even understand the papers they were signing. Or I mean, who who was benefiting? Who are the people preying on somebody who is uh, not even capable of perhaps even understanding what they're getting themselves into? Yeah, well, it, there were a group of people who were really benefiting from this. Um, Obviously, the lenders uh, in the industry who are issuing these loans um, and and collecting a lot of fees, collecting their interest. Um, often, the lenders would sell the loans to other uh, banks and you know eliminate the risk that way. So even if the loan was never repaid, they didn't care because they had already gotten their money. Um, similarly, brokers in the industry uh, were really chasing commissions. You know, they would set up a loan and get their commission and move on. Um, and you also had fleet owners. The really interesting aspect of the story was that as the bubble reached its peak, a 
a lot of the people that were selling the medallions, arranging the loans, and providing the money themselves were the fleet owners. Uh, these people that owned hundreds of cabs, they would sell one of their own medallions to one of their own drivers and say, hey, don't worry, I'm going to arrange the loan. I'm actually going to lend you the money myself. And so it's basically like a boss coming to an employee with a business opportunity. Um, but the boss is doing everything. They're, they're the seller, the broker, and the lender. And they have, because they already have a relationship with the person buying and borrowing, uh, they have the ability to insert some very unusual and exploitative terms into those loans. And that's what they did. So it's uh, just thinking about, and we were talking about, I know you use the word bubble. I think a lot of people think about uh, sort of that, the housing bubble, for example. So would it, is there a comparison to say, like, uh, I want to buy a house. I, I, I've written about, I wrote about a case like this uh, um, where people were, uh, sold homes, for example, uh, in uh, out in Long Island, and these were specifically a lot of these people were uh, public employees. I think uh, uh, often members of the sanitation department, for example, uh, black and Latino people who were uh, given uh, the chance to invest in uh, no money down, uh, beautiful uh, single family home. You know, move out of the city, uh, you know, build a better family for your life until uh, uh, the uh, the rate on the mortgage uh, went sky high and the house fell apart. And uh, this is, uh, yeah. is this, because I'm just asking you about this, you know, this sort of the, the is there a comparison there? Because as you mentioned the story and, and some of what, what you've written, a lot of people think that um, people who were involved in the taxi business ended up in big trouble because Uber and Lyft moved into the city and kind of screwed up the whole system. Right, yeah. And that that, that is a misconception um, that we, Kind of one of the major findings of our uh, of our reporting was that Uber and Lyft have not had the impact uh, on the industry that you might think. Um, but but just to the comparison, mm-hmm. I mean, yes, we we found a lot of comparisons between the housing uh, uh, crisis and and this crisis. Um, a lot of the lending practices are the same: the no down payment loans, uh, interest only loans, teaser rate loans, uh, balloon loans. Um, the loosening of lending standards. We also found that some of the same lenders that were involved in the real estate uh, bubble, uh, after that crash happened, they moved over to the taxi industry because they were looking for a new place. They couldn't invest in real estate anymore. They were looking for a new area. Um, but, you know, the biggest So literally, literally they, had, they had wrung out every dollar <laughs> they could in the uh, housing market, and so they uh, moved on to cabs? Is that what you're... Essentially, yes, uh, in some cases, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other similarity, and, and maybe the biggest similarity, is just this idea that existed in real estate, still kind of exists in real estate to some extent, uh, and, and we found existed in the taxi industry, which is belief that an asset is going to go up in value forever. Um, and not just go up, like go up in, with like inflation, Um the belief in the taxi industry was that the medallion price was going to skyrocket forever, uh, that it was a magical asset that was going to produce, you know, unprecedented returns uh, indefinitely. And this belief led a lot of the players, the lenders and the borrowers, to all do things that were 
you know, in retrospect, clearly reckless and um, irresponsible. Uh, and it was because of this belief that existed, which was always a fantasy. And no matter what was going to happen with Uber and Lyft, the prices were not going to skyrocket forever. Um, and so, you know, it's kind of a classic economic bubble that we've seen with other assets before throughout history. You're listening to WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. This is Waking Up. I'm Celeste Katz. I am talking to Brian Morgenthal of the New York Times. He is uh, explaining to us about, excuse me, Brian Rosenthal. I am speaking to uh, Brian Rosenthal of the New York Times Metro Desk, and we are talking about very complex and detailed investigation into the uh, the situation with uh, the exploitation of drivers, uh, immigrant drivers, uh, who wanted to invest in the, the taxi medallion business here in the city. And, uh, Brian, before I get to uh, the government response to this, because I think it's been pretty considerable, I just want to take one moment. Uh, you describe in, in uh, some of your writing uh how you went about investigating this story. And you mentioned that you talked to hundreds of people, some of whom you met by hanging out in the uh, taxi line at the JFK airport, going to their homes. I mean, what was it like being around people who had been through this experience? Yeah, well, the taxi industry is a fascinating industry. Um, and, you know, as I mentioned before, 91% of cabbies were not born in this country. And I met taxi drivers from all over the world, uh, from Peru and Haiti and Israel and Romania and Bangladesh and Pakistan and Egypt, um, everywhere. Uh, and uh, so it was fascinating in that way. Um, and it's also just, I mean, they're fascinating people. They, they're, you know, they, they drive people around and talk to people and know the city so well. Um, but it was also... You know, it was it was devastating, really, because these are hardworking people uh, who came to the United States to achieve the American dream and thought they had done everything right and thought they had been told by the city, uh, by the government, and by the people they trusted that they um, were doing the right thing. Uh, and so it was the conversations were very emotional. Um, the level of depression in the industry was uh, stunning, frankly. Um, it, it is widespread. Uh, the topic of suicide came up constantly. Um, one person told me he had already attempted it. Uh, and uh, other people said that they were really fearful that that was going to happen to them um, and were really fearful for their families. Um and so, you know, it, it was a really emotional experience. And I see that uh, in, in reading the story, it, it certainly came across that uh, uh, maybe while some of this was, was not entirely preventable, there were certain failures or uh, uh, slowdowns along the way on the part of the government uh, that, you know, maybe could have alleviated the suffering or the exploitation of some of these people. Is that is that what you found and what, what's being done about that now? Yeah, absolutely. So we found that starting in 2010, um, government regulators at all levels of government, uh, at the city, at the state, 
uh, Department of Financial Services, um, and at several federal regulatory agencies, um, had noticed uh, a few things. They had noticed that the prices were skyrocketing in an unusual way. They had noticed that um, that the loans, the income that the taxi drivers were bringing in could not support the loans. And they noticed some of these unusual lending practices, like the interest-only loans and the balloons, and things of that nature. They saw all of that, and they started warning about it starting in 2010. Um, several people used the word bubble in their warnings at that period, and top government officials ignored them and uh, decided not to do anything about all of these uh, warning signs and problems that they were finding. And we found that in that period between 2010 and uh, when the bubble ultimately burst, there were uh, at least 1,500 taxi drivers who bought medallions who, you know, could have been saved uh, if there had been stronger government regulations. Um, now that we have published our series, mm-hmm. uh, the government is finally uh, stepping up and taking some action. The Attorney General announced he's opening an inquiry. The mayor has announced an investigation. Uh, Chuck Schumer has called for a federal probe. Um, and there is uh, plans, there are plans for hearings uh, in Albany and at the city council where, uh, at least at the city council, we definitely see some legislation on this. So it's still early, but uh, it seems like some uh, action will be taken uh, now to help these taxi drivers. Well, certainly, uh, certainly something that we will be uh, watching uh, for, and uh, hopefully, we will see we will see more action. I just uh, uh, congratulate you and uh, and your colleagues. I understand many people were involved in the uh, the making of this story, incredibly complex. And uh, before I let you go, Brian, uh, I understand that you're going to be involved actually in a a new project that the Times is pursuing, something called the Weekly, a broadcast project. Uh, tell us a little bit about about that and what you're going to be doing there. Yeah, this is very exciting. This is the New York Times' first major foray into network television. And uh, what we're going to be doing is doing uh, every week a mini-documentary about a major investigation of the Times. And the episode, uh, which is going to air on FX and Hulu um, Sunday night, starting on June 2nd, uh, will go uh, behind the scenes show the reporters doing their reporting, um, show the subjects of the story, uh, show um, really everything uh, as the story uh, comes together um, and and how it uh, happens. Uh, and um, so one of the episodes is about this project in the taxi uh, uh, industry. Um, and uh, the it's very exciting. The show is um, going to be good, I think. <laughs> okay, so when so, do I when do um, I when do I tune in to uh, to see this particular episode? I will I will be interested in that. Well, I, I, we don't have the uh, the exact dates for the episodes, but uh, I think we're going to be pretty early on um, in the in the series. Um, so starting on June second, uh, Sunday night, you, you'll have to watch all of them, I guess. So, uh, Brian Rosenthal, uh, Metro investigative reporter for the New York Times, where can people follow you and your work if they want to learn more about this? Uh, well, I guess Twitter is the best place, um, at Brian M. 
uh, Rosenthal, M as in Martin. Um, I post uh, links to all my articles there as well as some, you know, other uh, thoughts about uh, what's going on and and, uh, links to other people's work as well. Okay, great. We will definitely be keeping an, uh, an eye on this as, uh, as you dig further. Uh, Brian, really appreciate you uh, coming and joining us today on WBAI. Thanks for having me. Take care. So we are going to take a little break here, but do not go away. We will be back in just a couple of minutes. We have more great guests coming up right here on this special edition of Waking Up. Uh, we have a, a few quick messages, and then I will be right back. I'm Celeste Katz. You are listening to WBAI New York. I 16. Did our sisters know Highway 16 Did our sisters go She's like nobody Well, this is John Kane from Let's Talk. On Thursday, May 30th at 7.30 p.m., I will be screening Wind River at the Brooklyn Commons at 388 Atlantic Avenue in Brooklyn, New York. Wind River is a major motion picture starring Jeremy Renner and Elizabeth Olsen that dramatizes the tragedy that is missing and murdered indigenous women. Come join us for the film and for a conversation. The event is free, but donations for WBA are always welcomed and encouraged. That's Wind River, Thursday, May 30th at 7.30 p.m. at the Brooklyn Commons. Mark your calendars for... This is WBAI New York 99.5 FM and streaming live at WBAI.org. You're listening to a special edition of Waking Up and... We are uh, going to hear uh, more uh, 